You're listening to a podcast from JNNP. Welcome to this uh, JNNP podcast. Um, my name is Alan Carson. It's been a great pleasure to uh, welcome Guillen Fernandez, who's the Professor of Cognitive Neuroscience and the Director of the Donder Centre for Neuroscience at uh, Wadbud uh, University in the Nijmegen Medical Centre. He's been speaking today on the topic of Equipped to Survive, comprehensive response to threat enables optimal behaviour. Can I just ask you maybe just to begin by just uh, giving us a very brief synopsis of what you were saying today in your lecture? Yeah, I think the, the concept of the lecture is in the first instance to understand that the response to a threat, a stressor, is a normal adaptive behaviour that requires the organism to respond in a very differentiated way so that uh, you have a higher chance of survival and in in that context, it's important to be able to um, respond adequately in the sense of being attentive to the details of the threat, to memorize that event good so that you can predict similar events in the future, to uh, react with a good motor response so that you can fight or flight, and that you reduce your ability to contemplate and to elaborate about things because that slows down your reaction. And all these responses require a very comprehensive change in network properties in the brain because so many different cognitive and emotional domains are affected that not only one region can be affected, the entire brain as a network has to be affected and that can be done very rapidly with uh, the help of norepinephrine and probably also other catecholamines. And uh, in the second part of my lecture I showed that cortisol is able to reduce this response in a very effective way in the acute phase. So norepinephrine is activating it, cortisol appears to downregulate or limit this response. And at the very end I showed two examples of vulnerability, one a genetic one and one uh, environmental one where we tested soldiers prior and after the deployment to Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that fascinated me about that was that this mechanism that cortisol had, which if, if you'd asked me before you, you spoke and your data was very convincing, it's not the way I would have predicted cortisol would have mediated its effect. Um, can you hypothesize on wh- why you think it works in that mechanism? First of all, you're right. So it's a bit against kind of the, the mainstream thought. I agree with that. On the other hand, one has to distinguish very carefully between the longer-term effects of cortisol. So if you have chronic stress, cortisol has, without much doubt, negative effects on the brain um, and causes brain damage. In the very acute phase, it's not that much investigated, uh, one has to say. And the pharmacodynamics of cortisol, or the dynamics in, in general, are in a way that Cortisol cannot play an activating role in the very first moment when you are confronted with a threat because it takes 15, 20 minutes at least to reach the brain and to act there. It takes even longer in most cases, depending on the mechanism. Therefore, I think these initial 15 minutes or so were not well studied, and that's exactly what we did. And in that moment, cortisol appears to have that function, and it's nicely in line with animal data, with clinical data, showing that um, cortisol has even an anxiolytic effect. Yes, yes. No, your, your data was, was convinced in that regard. And you moved on at the close of your talk to talk about this in the context of, of some military populations and the adaptability. And can I just get you to expand on that a little bit? Yeah, and in, in that study we uh, investigated a rather small a cohort 
of Dutch soldiers going to their maiden deployment as combat soldiers in Afghanistan. Um, and we investigated him prior to their, their deployment and thereafter, shortly thereafter, and a year later, uh, their return. In that way, we were able to uh, investigate prospectively the effect of a severe stressor on brain function and brain structure uh, and in perf- some performance measures. And we showed in particular, I think the interesting thing is that the actual combat exposure, which was kind of monitored by a prospective diary, structured diary, uh, was not predicting any brain changes we were investigating or cognitive changing we were investigating. Only the perceived threat had a uh, predictive value uh, to analyze, for example, on brain structure, but also brain activity or brain connectivity. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you, you showed quite elegantly that it did have quite significant effects particularly on brain structures and also on processing measures particularly attention um, which I think maybe would come as um, a a surprise to people not well used to the psychiatric and psychological literature but I think a lot of people tend to think of stress as something that happens to your mind that it's separate from the brain and it's it's worth emphasizing to people just the, the how marked these effects were actually in terms of structural findings because that's obviously going to be quite significant when considering experimental models um, on, on patients and other subjects who, who, who've um, had stress exposures and I thought that was uh, fascinating in the questions afterwards, um, people drew you out on the topic of whether some of the vulnerability measures that you'd found could be used to try and be protective of um, soldiers um, to prevent them being exposed to certain situations. And you made the point quite elegantly that that may not be desirable to the military and it may bring other things. Can I just get you to draw out on that a bit? Because I thought it was an interesting part of the discussion after your talk. Mm. Yeah. We are looking into common variants. Yeah? Mm-hmm. So somehow evolution made some people more anxious than others. And uh, we describe those as vulnerable. But uh, evolution should not have evolved in a way that we have a third or so of the population that are vulnerable for disease. So there must be somewhere an advantage of that. And you could easily imagine that, as, for example, as a society, you are dependent also on people that are more anxious, might be named as more vulnerable, but these people might be very useful in the survival and the fitness of a group or a whole society because they can protect others to uh, avoid dangerous and dangerous situation. And on the other hand, if you have very uh, resilient, very non-anxious, brave people, they might be also very important to have in a society. So the right mixture uh, might be important, and it might be a different mixture for a military unit than for a general population. It might be different for different situations in life and history where one or the two and the other might be more beneficial. So I think that's just all these variants, these common variants have advantages and disadvantages. For the individual, there might be even only disadvantages. Uh, we don't know that exactly, but as a society, it might be indeed be a good balance to have both. Thank you. Thank you very much for coming. Thank you for speaking to us. Thank you. Very Most much. interesting. Thank you.